And hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hungry Takes podcast. It is a Thursday night. Hope everybody had a great Christmas as we are the day before New Year's Eve. So early Happy New Year to everybody. I really appreciate the support and everyone listening to the podcast tonight. Matt, I was just realizing before the show started that not only are we on the eve of New Year, but this is also Tiger Woods and LeBron James's birthday today, December 30th. Yeah, and you know, Joe, and, and that's that's a great point. It really is. And uh, yeah, just want to welcome everyone to the podcast. I know we're going to get into some awesome topics here tonight. Off the top, you're coming out with Tiger Woods and LeBron James. And, and the truth is, only one matters. And you know what I'm going to say here. Tiger Woods matters. LeBron James, not so much. <laughs> I definitely figured you would, you would say that. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, it makes sense because... I heard a lot of debate about LeBron James today. Of course, I heard someone very passionately explaining how he's the greatest player alive. But we will save that conversation for another day. Sounds good. Sounds good. Definitely, it would be a limitless conversation in itself. And Matt, you know, speaking of the conversations that people are having, you know, these days on Zoom calls, water coolers, whatever it is. The talk is about um, picking who's going to win the college football playoffs. We've got tomorrow both the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl. Uh, let's start out with talking about our thoughts on the Cotton Bowl with Alabama in Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati trying to carry the torch for all of the upstart group of five programs through the years that have been left out of the playoff. And then Alabama, we all know about them, you know, the mighty uh, Goliath. Uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup? So I heard a lot of talk today about it, right? And I, I think there's an actual conversation about Alabama and Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is going to come out and play really good football because they have a lot to prove. The crazy part is Nick Saban, somehow in his demented psychological way, have, has convinced his Alabama football players that they are actually the underdogs this year. Um, Wilson, uh, I think it's Wilson, is the linebacker that's so great, uh, you know, or defensive end. And he was actually one telling his other teammates in a meeting that they're the underdogs and they have to prove stuff to the world. And I'm just sitting here like, oh, my gosh, the best player in the nation based on statistics is talking about being an underdog. How in the heck did Nick Saban make that happen? Well, it's just amazing how he uses that self-motivation mindset in so many different unique ways year in and year out. And that's the only way you can pull off, what, 14 straight 10-win seasons in the sport and on the cusp of maybe another national championship for Mighty Alabama. But you're right. I really think that Cincinnati is a better team than most people realize across the country. I look at this team with Desmond Ritter with the wealth of experience that he has as a starting quarterback. Jerome Ford is an Alabama transfer. I mean, he's a running back that has, I think, 18 or 19 rushing touchdowns on the season. You have a secondary that's very elite with NFL draft prospects. And so I think absolutely Cincinnati can challenge Alabama and make it difficult for Alabama. I think that the second half will kind of decide who wins, whether Alabama can pull away or whether Cincinnati can hang. Yeah, no, I agree, and I'm glad you brought up the secondary because I think this is legitimately an NFL secondary that Cincinnati's kind of been hiding all year, if, if you want to call it hiding in plain sight. And I think 
it's going to be one of Bryce Young's best challenges in the whole season, including the Georgia game. And the truth is, as much as I love Nick Saban and, and you know, I sit here and talk about how he's got his Alabama team thinking they're underdogs, which is scary, I still will sit back and say that do not count Cincinnati out. I think Cincinnati can legitimately beat Alabama. And as far as I'm concerned, like, I'm amazed that Alabama-Cincinnati is the 3 p.m. game because it is the game to watch. Georgia's going to stomp a mud hole in Michigan. I'm being honest. Well, I definitely want to hear more about that in just a moment with your thoughts on uh, Georgia-Michigan. But at the end of the day, I heard an interview yesterday with Kirk Herbstreet. He kind of expects that Cincinnati-Alabama could be like a 31-27 to game. I'm not sure if I think it's going to be that close in the second half. I think the first half will be dynamite. I kind of look for Alabama to pull ahead in like the third or fourth quarter where we kind of come away feeling like, okay, Cincinnati was pretty good, but Alabama will just find a way to win it. Like, I'll, I'll tell you that the example I keep thinking about, Matt, was the um, game in uh, men's college basketball back in like 2014 when Wichita State, when they were undefeated, took on Kentucky, and Kentucky broke their hearts like at the last minute. I could kind of see something like that happening for Cincinnati where they play pretty well, but Alabama just plays better. Yeah, you know, I'll go back to this stat because I, I think what you illustrated right there is something I've been talking about all year, and I think ultimately it's going to be the story of this game, and it's depth, right? Like, yes, Cincinnati's good. Yes, they're in the top four. Yes, I think they're one of the best teams in the country. But do they have the depth as an Alabama, as Georgia? And one of the first statistics that I threw out at the beginning of the college season was – Georgia has more five-star recruits on their team than the entirety of the Pac-12 and uh, Big 12 combined. And that, to me, is going to be the story because if Georgia's got that many five-star recruits, you know Alabama does or more, right? And so can Cincinnati keep track with the depth that Alabama's going to bring to your point, late in the fourth quarter, when their guys are tired and Nick Saban sends out another wave of five-star recruits from the bench, can they hold up to that? Right, right, absolutely. And anytime you're going to challenge Alabama, you got to take some chances. You can't play conservative. I think that Ritter's got to make some plays with his legs. Um, Ford's got to have a steady game. But they've also got to complete some passes down the field as well to some of those receivers for Ritter if they're going to have a chance. So I do think it's going to be an entertaining game. Uh, do you have like a score prediction for where you're thinking? I actually think the 30s, the 27 is probably too high for this game. Like I think on paper the score is that high, but in all actuality, I think uh, Alabama settles in around the 21-24 mark. Uh, because the defense is talking about underdog status, they come out fired up, right, and overpower Cincinnati. I'm thinking 21 to 17 type game, something like that. Well, that would be a great game. I'm going to say that at the end of the half, at halftime, it's like a 14 to 14 game, where it's like neck and neck. And then in the second half, Alabama pulls away. I like Alabama 34 to 20 over Cincinnati. Yeah, I think the first half is very competitive to the point of. 7-7 at halftime, 10-7, and then late in the fourth, it gets out of control as that depth starts to ring true. Right, right. I think the depth is a great point, very profound point that you made. 
Um, Matt, you kind of alluded to it earlier about Georgia against Michigan. So I got to hear your take on who you think is going to win in Miami. I kind of feel like um, it's pretty clear where you're going with the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, there's there's all this controversy right now in the great state of Georgia uh, because of their quarterbacks. Is it JT Daniels? Is it Stetson? Like, who's it going to be? Stetson Bennett? And, and the crazy part is when you look at Stetson Bennett's statistics, I think he's got 20 touchdowns to three interceptions. What are we talking about? And one loss to Alabama in the championship game. Like, there's no conversation here. He's fantastic. Georgia's fantastic. What happened? They ran up on Nick Saban, just like all the other victims for the last 15 or 20 years have done, okay, besides uh, when he was coaching in the NFL. And so I think it's crazy to think that Georgia is unsteady or unresolved or they don't have the proper guy at quarterback. I think at the end of the day, it's that same conversation. Can Michigan and the Big Ten hold up to uh, Alabama and particularly Georgia first? I do think Michigan is in a better situation than Cincinnati, but at the end of the day, I don't expect Michigan to actually come out and really even pose a challenge to Georgia, which I know is kind of crazy. No, that really is crazy. I'll say this. To your point about kind of the narrative that I've been hearing about Georgia not really having a chance in this game and everybody feeling that Georgia is kind of a flawed team just because they lost to Alabama, I'm totally with you on that. I'm getting kind of tired of people acting like just because Georgia had one dud of a game against a team that's just generationally talented with the best coach in college football history, that suddenly Georgia's a bad team. I mean, there is not one thing that is a team should be ashamed about about losing to Nick Saban in Alabama. That doesn't mean just because you lose to Alabama that you could not easily defeat any other team in the country. And then suddenly, you know, we've also rewritten overnight this narrative that we trust Jim Harbaugh in big games. And so I kind of see um, kind of a collision course of narratives. And I personally am trusting Georgia more with their defense. Now, I'll say this. I absolutely think that Michigan can win this game. I think that Michigan has a really good running attack. I think they have over 2,000 yards as a team. They have two really good running backs led by a Haskins. But I don't trust their quarterback, McNamara, any more than the critics, you know, that are skeptical about Bennett or um, Daniels at Georgia. And so I think the offense is kind of even. I trust Georgia's um, uh, defense better. And then also Georgia has some really elite playmakers on offense. Bowers, the tight end, Matt, who's a freshman for Georgia, that guy is a budding superstar. Watch Bowers um, tomorrow in the Orange Bowl. Oh, Will Anderson. Yeah, Will Anderson. There we go. Sorry, I said Wilson. Will Anderson. So, on based on statistics, he is literally two times better than Aiden Hutchinson, right? So, and Aiden Hutchinson is a Heisman Trophy finalist. If you fault Georgia for losing to that, then I don't really know what to say, right? The truth is, Georgia ran into another one of Nick Saban's legendary talented teams. Okay, Bryce Young put up the best game we've seen in college football uh, outside of Joe Burrow in the last few seasons, and they got an upset victory, quote-unquote, right? Or they lost to Alabama. And so if, if you think that means 
Georgia's unstable and Michigan is going to beat Georgia. I just don't see it. I think at the end of the day, uh, Georgia is a fantastic team. They lost to an Alabama team that will overpower anybody. And so the truth is Michigan loses just like everybody else does to the SEC. And then Georgia's going to turn around and lose to Alabama because Alabama is that good. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating if Georgia and Alabama meet a second time. I mean, I don't know if Alabama, as good as they are, can beat them twice in one year. I know there would be a lot of pressure on Georgia, too. So that, that would be fascinating as well. But I think I'm definitely interested in both of these matchups in the playoffs tomorrow on New Year's Eve. But, Matt, real quick, I did want to get kind of predictions from both of us on the other four New Year's Six bowl games that are taking place. There's one, actually – that kicked off already tonight. So real quick, the Peach Bowl is Pittsburgh and Michigan State coming in. I was actually excited about this game when I thought that Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker were facing off. Both of them opted out. So what do you think about the talentless Peach Bowl? Yeah, look, Joe, it's so the way college football is between the coaches, the superstars, it's like it's almost a telltale sign. So they asked Pickett uh, at the Heisman Trophy, uh, final if he was going to play he was like oh I don't know we'll see anytime you hear that from a coach or a player you know exactly what that means right they're either leaving not playing so on and so forth so my pick here Michigan State I think out bullies uh, Pittsburgh I think if, if Kenny Pickett were playing for Pittsburgh I think Pittsburgh would have a real shot without him he is their Trojan horse he is the horsepower of that offense that team I think I, I think they take a bigger loss here yeah, I mean, coming into bowl season, I think Walker opted out first. So I thought Pickett would absolutely win with Pittsburgh. But now that he opted out, I just don't think their offense can do anything without him. And I just kind of think that Michigan State will have more of that next man up mentality and they can run the football more effectively and play better defense. So, yeah, I also like the Spartans to win in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl. Uh, moving on, the Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. Uh, Notre Dame with a new head coach promoted from within. Um, looks like they're really, you know, excited with him, Marcus Freeman. And then Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy. They're definitely disappointed that they're not in the playoff because of that heart-breaking loss to Baylor. Um, any thoughts on Notre Dame, Oklahoma State? Actually, I'm going Notre, Notre Dame here. Notre Dame was actually super fired up and happy that they lost Brian Kelly. And as an LSU fan, I'm not really sure what I think about that. So uh, I, I know that um, I know that the coach that took over is very much liked by the players. I think they rally around him and get a victory in this bowl game. Okay. Now, I love um, their new coach. I think he's a great motivator. But for this game itself, with a matchup against Oklahoma State, I like um, the Cowboys. I think that Oklahoma State's defense is elite. I think that they're also wanting to put forward a statement because they didn't make it to the playoff. And it's kind of similar to their 2011 season when they lost to Iowa State and missed the playoff. They actually won the Fiesta Bowl that year. And so I think that they'll try to exercise some of those demons similarly this year and also get a tight Fiesta Bowl win over um, Notre Dame. But I do think it will be a fun matchup. And speaking of fun matchups, the Rose Bowl, really intriguing this year. I uh, like seeing Utah against Ohio State. First time I can ever remember uh, Kyle Whittingham in Utah making it to the Rose Bowl. Um, what are your thoughts on Utah, Ohio State? So uh, my, my thought here is Ohio State. 
State gets the big win. I, I think Ohio State had played great football all season, and I think they capped that off. Uh, you know, an unfortunate loss to Michigan, but they cap off an otherwise good season uh, with a win in a ball game. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jim? I like Ohio State as well. I know a lot of people are kind of picking Utah as the trendy pick, but here's what I have to say. We saw the Pac-12 last night. Um, Oklahoma looked pretty good against Oregon, and Oregon was the second-best team in the Pac-12. Obviously, Utah was the Pac-12 winner, but at the same time, there's just something to me about Ohio State, I think similar to Clemson last night. They're out to kind of get a statement win to finish the season and go into next year with a lot of momentum. So I think Ryan Day will have this team ready to go. And then specifically, I think C.J. Stroud is out to make a statement for next year's Heisman race. And he was great at times this year. I mean, he absolutely lit up some teams prior to the loss to Michigan. So let's not forget about that. And I think that Ohio State gets this victory. Yeah, Joe, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct on that. All right, and then finally, we have um, the Sugar Bowl with Ole Miss and Baylor for the New Year's Six. I'm in, interested in this game, obviously, Matt, for biased reasons. But the more I hear about it, people are kind of thinking this could be a very close game. Um, who do you think wins between the Bears and the Rebels? I've got to go with Ole Miss. I've become a fan. I think Matt Corral is, is pretty awesome. will eventually go pretty high in the draft. So I'm, I'm going with Ole Miss in this one, Jeff. Well, coming into the matchup, Matt, I kind of felt like Ole Miss would win this pretty easily. But then I've heard more people talk about Dave Aranda's defense, and rightfully so, and how they could be a tough matchup for Ole Miss, where it's kind of like strength on strength, Ole Miss's offense against uh, Baylor's defense. But I still think Ole Miss will win. I like Ole Miss probably to win by about 10 points. I think that Matt Corral is motivated to kind of put some more good film out there for NFL scouts heading into the NFL draft as a projected first rounder, and I think that he's got some good weapons around him and an improved defense this year for Ole Miss. And so I think that Ole Miss wins with Lane Kiffin, and they set a school record for the most wins in a season for the Rebels. So that is the New Year's Six, Matt. And um, to kind of finish bowl season at this point, I know we were talking earlier via text about the Cheez-It Bowl that we had both, I think, watched last night. And then today they had the Duke's uh, Mayo Bowl. And that kind of got us thinking about for tonight's Hungry Take segment about food to start talking about our favorite snacks in honor of Cheez-It and or our favorite condiments for food in honor of Duke's Mayo Bowl. So, Matt, really fascinated to see kind of your thoughts on those subjects. Well, I think, you know, off the top of my head, you got to go with Cheez-Its, particularly Pepper Jack Cheez-Its, always one of my favorites. Got a big box of them in my office, got a big box at home, snacking on them while I watch uh, while I watch football games, both NFL and NCAA. So I'm going Cheez-Its. Then I got to go fudge rounds because I love fudge rounds. And then probably, Joe, I'll finish that off with some oatmeal cream pies because I absolutely love oatmeal cream pies. I hear you completely. And, you know, what I would say about um, the snacks that I really enjoy, as a kid, I really liked uh, Lunchables a lot. Like, I know a lot of people eat Lunchables for lunch, obviously. But for me, I always wanted more than, than that for a meal. And so I kind of looked at Lunchables sometimes as a snack. Um, and so, like, sometimes I could actually put away a couple of those things. I always liked the, um, 
the crackers and like the ham and cheese uh, Lunchables a lot. Um, as far as condiments, like I didn't want to briefly mention the Duke's uh, Mayo Bowl. Um, I'll say kind of a hot take on condiments for me personally, and this would probably surprise a lot of people out there. I've never been a fan of mustard. Um, I don't like mustard very much. Um, I've had it a few times, like it's, if it's put on a hamburger or cheeseburger for me, but never been a big mustard person. I've always been more of a ketchup and mayo guy. So those are kind of my preferences there. Um, as far as dressing, like I like ranch dressing a lot. I think that it goes good with pizza and some other things. But yeah, so I mean, I, I, now I do like honey mustard, um, which is kind of interesting, but I guess that's uh, completely different than um, you know regular mustard. Um, and like I said, I know that it's kind of an unpopular opinion. I know there are a lot of people out there that like mustard, but I don't know. Like to me, every time I have mustard, it always has a little bit more of a sour taste for me. I may be completely misjudging what the flavor is supposed to taste like, but that's been kind of always my turnoff. But I definitely, you know, anybody that likes mustard, like I, I definitely support that. It's not, I'll put it this way. It's not a condiment that I'm by any stretch of the imagination grossed out by. Like there might be some foods, you know, where I'm kind of grossed out by, you know, the thought of it. Mustard, not like that. I'm just kind of indifferent about mustard, have the preference towards mayonnaise, ketchup, and ranch for, uh, for most things. So that is our hungry take for tonight. I did want to, in the last few minutes, guys, since we talked a lot of college football, I did want to briefly mention just some other sports headlines um, starting out with the NFL. We've got an exciting weekend of NFL football this weekend. I think it's one of the more underrated, uh, compelling weekends of the season. I'm really interested in a few matchups, specifically uh, the Chiefs and Bengals, I think is going to be a great matchup with Joe Burrow taking on Kansas City. We all know about Joe Burrow uh, lighting up the scoreboard with uh, 500 passing yards and statistics last Sunday for Cincinnati and then Patrick Mahomes and the uh, Chiefs, you know, on the hinge or on the uh, doorstep of that, what, like seven or eight game winning streak. It seems like it's been two months since they've lost a game in Kansas City. So that's a great game. Um, elsewhere, I'm looking at the Dolphins and Titans. Um, when Matt and I were calling the um, Dolphins Saints game Monday night on ColorCast, I didn't realize at the time the winning streak that Miami's pulled off. I didn't realize they were the first team to what lose seven games in a row and then win seven games in a row in the same season. And now, you know, they're on the precipice of actually making a surprising uh, playoff experience. And so I think that game's going to be good. Um, let me look at a couple of other matchups. Uh, three other ones I'm, I'm, I'm interested in. The Rams and Ravens, I think that that's kind of do or die for the Ravens with Lamar Jackson and their playoff chances. Definitely want to see how the Rams look. I know that Cooper Cup's um, trying to break Calvin Johnson's record this year and continue his all-pro caliber season, historic season, really. Um, interested in Cowboys-Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals have definitely kind of been in a free fall. Um, the Cowboys have been the complete opposite. I mean, their offense looks elite. Their defense looks elite. I mean, this is definitely a great team. Look at Dak Prescott. Look at Diggs uh, picking off passes. I think that's a titanic matchup. And then lastly, the Vikings-Packers is definitely an interesting game. I know that uh, Matt always has, you know, fascinating thoughts about the Packers. I believe this game is at Lambeau Field against uh, 
Kirk Cousins in the Vikings. And what I always say about Kirk Cousins is um, anytime I watch him play football, I definitely have to mute the game because his audibles that he calls the line of scrimmage are just too loud. They're just deafening loud and annoying to listen to. And so I will definitely uh, have the game on mute. Of course, I'll probably have color cast on anyway, but I'll definitely have, you know, the game on mute during that game, but definitely interested in uh, Vikings Packers. In fact, I'll probably be uh, listening to our friend Lily on her cast on the game. Um, as far as some other storylines, I know at some point we're hoping to do a hangry rant before the end of this episode. I did want to briefly touch on a couple of thoughts I had about the NBA coming off of uh, what we've seen the last week in the NBA season. Uh, you, you hear a lot of people say that the unofficial start of the NBA season is the Christmas Day matchups. And we had some interesting Christmas Day matchups. We saw the Lakers lose to the Nets. We saw the Bucks win against the Celtics. And then another one that stood out to me is the Warriors over the Suns. I mean, the Suns have been playing great basketball with a long winning streak this year. And the Warriors and Steph Curry continue to do what they do offensively. As far as the Lakers' nets, that's kind of the one I did want to really quickly concentrate on. I feel like, you know, I get kind of tired of hearing this narrative that the Lakers are a championship team. I feel like there's too much of a debate about whether they're a championship team contending this year or not. When I feel like, quite frankly, the better question is whether the Lakers are actually a playoff team or not at this point. And so that's kind of my take there on the NBA. Um, now, you know, as we kind of transition into 2022, I'll definitely be more um, closely following the NBA as we kind of get out of college and NFL football season. But that's kind of my takes at the moment. And speaking of takes, I know that we're getting set for what is always the most highly anticipated moment in sports entertainment. And that is, of course, Matt's hangry rant. of the hangry rant, have we, Joe? We have, Matt. We are ready to hear you. I think that people are just sitting on the edge of their seats. Hope everybody's careful if they're driving as they get ready for the hangry rant. So, so this one, hopefully, is well-timed and something I am extremely passionate about. And I, I would tell everyone to just hold on to their seats because it's about to be a wild ride. I'm going to hold on, too. I'm ready. So here's the hangry rant for the week. It's about that son of a gun, Aaron Rodgers. And here's why, okay? The easy 2020, 2021 word would be that he's trolling us, but he's not trolling us. He may be trolling fans, but this dude is making the ultimate power play in front of our very eyes. And what the hangry rant tonight is going to be about, someone has to call him out on it. I don't care if he hears this or not. Hopefully, in some way, this makes it back to him. But I'm calling Aaron Rodgers out for his BS. And here's the reason. One week, he goes on Pat McAfee and talks about how, you know, he's getting ready to leave and blah, blah, blah. And then this week, he goes on the Pat McAfee show and says how, you know, he's got to look back in the stadium and his career's been so great, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, what he's trying to do is he's trying to convince the Green Bay Packers organization that he might be leaving. And there is no way, and I want to be clear, 
There is no way in hell that Aaron Rodgers leaves the Green Bay Packers because here's what he knows. He knows that he has a defense that's in the top ten in the NFL. He's got a running back in Aaron Jones who is a Swiss Army Knife. He's got A.J. Dillon who's an absolute beast. He's got the best, not top three, but the best wide receiver in the NFL. He's got a young head coach that is uh, brilliant and suits his playing style. He's got uh, an offensive line that's probably the best in all of the NFL. There are only two places that Aaron Rodgers could go play football, really three, New Orleans Saints, Pittsburgh, and San Francisco. Why do you want to go to Pittsburgh? They have the worst offensive line in football. New Orleans is completely def- uh, deflated when it comes to having offensive prowess. And San Francisco, all you do now is you have to compete with Arizona, Seattle, and Los Angeles when you could stay in Green Bay and deal with the crappy Detroit Lions, the terrible Chicago Bears, and the hapless Minnesota Vikings. So, Joe, what am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is that the GM, uh, Little Goody, okay, is what I refer to him as, has put together a fantastic team for Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is not going anywhere. What he's trying to do is create leverage because he is pissed off that Green Bay went and got Jordan Love. And the best example I can give anybody is that person that cheats on you, okay? So if you have someone that cheats on you, Down the road, or if you cheat on somebody, down the road they do everything right, but at the end of the day they always remind you, oh, you cheated on me, all right? Oh, oh, yeah, I have a great time with you. I love being with you. But remember, you cheated on me. That's what Aaron Rodgers is doing this entire time. Like, he's just trolling Green Bay, and he's playing a strategy play to make the Green Bay Packers management love him even more. And so what I'm trying to say here is Green Bay fans – relax, as Aaron Rodgers says. He ain't going anywhere, and he knows he's not going anywhere because there is no better team suited for Aaron Rodgers than Green Bay, and he knows that. So all he's trying to do right now is re- like reverse psychology strategy to get Green Bay to value him more than anything else. And the last thing I'll say is, here's a prime example. His contract is a $46 million cap hit next year, and Green Bay's cap is $40 million, all right? So he's basically already hijacked them into doing whatever he wants because they can't pay him. So this whole season, right, has been a strategy play by Aaron Rodgers, and it's just worked out that he won an MVP last year, and they're the best team in the league. So Green Bay fans, relax. You're being hoodwinked by a person that has no intention to leave, because there's no better place by Aaron, that Aaron Rodgers can be in than Green Bay. Well, actually, Matt, um, I thought of one question I didn't want to ask you. Um, one of our uh, listeners was actually asking me this today. Um, he was just kind of hypothetically trying to, I guess, uh, fan the flames a little bit and kind of get your thoughts on different things because he likes uh, to listen to our show. He wanted to know, Matt, what you would think as a Louisiana native if Aaron Rodgers were to hypothetically play for the Saints. So I think it's a beautiful fit for the Saints, right? Like, I'm not going to sit back and tell you that it would make the Saints better because it would. But from an Aaron Rodgers perspective, there is no reason to come to New Orleans unless you have the promise of 
Devontae Adams coming with you or, you know, making sure Alvin Kamara is happy or Michael Thomas is going to come back. And New Orleans can't even do any of that. They can't even assure you that Sean Payton will be there. So I think as a New Orleans fan, not me, of course, because I hate the guy. Literally, I hate everything he says or does. I think it's a good move. But from a, a standpoint of Aaron Rodgers, it'll never happen. Well, I've been on record that I prefer Russell um, Wilson to Aaron Rodgers. I just think he's better um, from the locker room. I also think he's younger. And so I really think he would fit the Saints better from many perspectives over Aaron Rodgers. And so that's what I would get excited about. But, you know, if Aaron Rodgers came to New Orleans, I wouldn't completely be that upset because he does have that, you know, undeniable talent that would be interested to see, you know, kind of how that goes. So, Matt, go ahead. Okay. I know it's not the hangry rant, but I want to throw it out there for you. Yeah. What if Russell Wilson goes to Miami because Sierra is tired of Seattle weather and she wants to go to South Beach and they don't pay taxes there, income taxes. So Russell Wilson goes to Miami. Miami moves Tua to New Orleans. How about that? That would be interesting. Um, I would still probably prefer Russell Wilson. Like, I know Tua's looking great. I know the Dolphins have won seven straight games, but I would rather have Russell Wilson at 33 than I would Tua at 23 just because I know about Russell Wilson being a proven Super Bowl winner, and I really think he kind of have a resurgence of his career under Sean Payton. Yeah, I, I think so. I think at the end of the day, my point is Russell Wilson wants out of Seattle – but he's got to appease his wife, of course, right, who has a very big public uh, perception figure, Sierra. And I think Miami would be the perfect place. What does Miami do with Tua, who they have, you know, investment in? And I think there's New Orleans who's looking for an answer because otherwise I think Russell Wilson is a perfect fit for New Orleans. Who looks like Russell Wilson? Tua looks exactly like Russell Wilson. I'll say this. I mean, I definitely expect a lot of movement this offseason with teams changing quarterbacks. We know, like, Pittsburgh's probably going to have a new quarterback. We're going to see quarterbacks drafted like Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral. And I do think you're going to see some free agency agents move teams. And then who knows, you know, if Tom Brady's going to come back for sure or not next season in Tampa. And so I think there will be a lot of fascinating storylines this season, Matt. But, you know, kind of in conclusion, speaking of fascinating, just loved, you know, your hangry rant. It's always, you know, just so riveting to listen to it. And I think that what you did today was just um, another one of your absolute um, amazing uh, performances. So, guys, I think that is going to wrap up our show for this New Year's Eve Eve. Um, really appreciate everybody so much for tuning in um, to the Hungry Takes podcast with Joe and Matt. Hope everybody has a great New Year's. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes, and we will be back, I'm sure, very soon, probably next year in 2022, with some more sports and food talk. So, good night, everybody.